This is AutoLine Extra, available exclusively on the Internet. Here again is John McElroy. Hey, joining me right now is Mike Jackson, the CEO of AutoNation, the nation's largest retailer, right? That's biggest correct. collection of dealers in the U.S., maybe the world, too? Yeah, perhaps the universe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we got well, a very nice enterprise. Yeah. So, I mean, last year was abysmal, you know. Uh, how, do, how do you think we ended up the year? December didn't look like a half-bad month in the new reality. And uh, what do you, what's your outlook for, for this year? So, whole 2009 was an incredible nightmare. But a lot of good things came out of it. And uh, we finished the year with it pointing in the right direction. Here's an interesting insight, John. Uh, December of 2009 compared to December of 2008, traffic was down dramatically by 15%, sales at retail are up 15 to 20%. So you say, well, how can that be? What, what's changed? Well, this year we have credit. In December of 08, there was no credit. And so that's a very good sign for the future. So the, the credit panic of last year completely shut down the economy, led to dramatic unemployment, which has really hurt traffic. But at least this year, we have some level of credit that the people who are coming in, a significant percentage of them, we can sell a car, which was impossible a year ago. Mm -hmm. The Detroit Three have gone through an enormous amount of restructuring. I mean, GM and Chrysler went through bankruptcy. They now claim they can break even at uh, 10 and a half million units are. But how about you guys? I mean, you've got all these retailers. You can't close down factories and you know get labor concessions from the union and all that. How, how well, have you been able to adjust to this massive drop-off in the market? It's interesting, John. When I first arrived at AutoNation in 2000, uh, I said we're going to structure the company that we can break even at a selling rate for the industry of 10 million. Now everybody looked and at me. And they said you're you're, you're, you're crazy. crazy. You never see it. And I said, well, a lot of good things can happen as a result of structuring a business for tough days. It gives you a certain discipline, and you it drives a lot of decisions, and you don't do a lot of crazy things because you're prepared for a day of reckoning. Well, lo and behold, the day of reckoning comes, and uh, of course, at that point, we were able to take our break-even point down much lower than. 10 million, and so we were solidly uh, profitable through the whole turmoil. But the biggest thing that happened last year was how the auto task force, the government auto task force, restructured the industry. And uh, they didn't just build a bridge to better times, they really took out uh, cost and excess capacity. They built really a new foundation. Built a new foundation, killed this uh, bankrupt business model, I call it production push, where you just produce whatever's been installed in the factories. Uh, to cover fixed costs, which, uh, and then you use incentives in the marketplace to liquidate everything that nobody wants, which was insanity, and, le and it led to bankruptcy. So that's dead, which um, gives me quite some optimism for the future. It'll be a gradual recovery. We'll get over 11 this year. That's still depression levels. Right, it's still bad, uh, but, but a whole lot better than it was. Better than 09, and uh, to really hit our stride, we need recovery in housing, Full recovery in credit, uh, recovery in employment, and all that's 2011 stuff. But some of the forecasts I'm seeing out there show a fairly fast ramp up if those things happen. Ramp up in sales. Yeah, 20. I think I think that we have an inflection point where we where we have a sound bottom, and now we're stepping up 10 to 15 percent in uh, 2010. And uh, if everything works. 2011, you could really take a step back towards 
where we'll ultimately be selling 16 million cars again in the United States. Mm -hmm. So as you look out as uh, the automakers right now, who looks good in your book? Ford seems to be, you know, sweeping the show right now. They won Car and Truck of the Year. They introduced uh, the, the new Focus. Uh, what's your outlook for Ford? Well, it shows you unequivocally what a difference one individual can make. Alan Mulally. Alan Mulally. I sat down with Alan Mulally on a Saturday over in Dearborn shortly after he arrived, and we discussed the horror stories of the business model production push, and he fully agreed and says, as of this day, it will end, and I start changing it tomorrow. And um, good decision after good decision for the long term of Ford Motor Company is really paying off. They got a tremendous brand equity kick by not taking a government handout and not going into bankruptcy. Our customers come in and say, we really admire Ford for not having done that. Show me what you have. And then they have a very nice uh, product pipeline. Derek Kuzak, who came over from Europe, uh, has done a terrific job. And so Ford's in a, in a very good position, winning, you know, as you know this morning, car and truck of the year. Mm -hmm. So that's on the one hand. All, for, all the way on the other hand, in our, in our Chrysler showrooms, we have to deal with this animosity about the bailout. Mm -hmm customer saying, I own you, and where's my 70% discount? And it's a, it's a long journey uh, to a sale. And Can GM, Chrysler make it? I think Chrysler will make it, only because of the alliance with Fiat, and only because Sergio Marchioni is one of the most extraordinary executives in any business I've ever met. He will will it through this. But uh, absent that, I don't, I don't think they would make it. You don't have a lot of Chrysler stores in AutoNation, though, do you? No, we, we, we always have a always do an assessment and, and put a risk factor on it. So it, we only have 10 Chrysler stores today versus I had 50 some years ago. So I've sort of placed my bet and I think they'll make it, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to bet the whole company on it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and General Motors, what do you make of what's going on there right now? Well, if you look at the fact that General Motors, uh, coming out of bankruptcy, stabilized their share around 20% while winding down four brands and dealing with all the fallout of the bankruptcy, it's, it's uh, really quite a story. Uh, definitely, uh, the pace of the company has improved dramatically. They have some real hits out there in the marketplace. Now, John, here's one of the most important things that they've done. They've stopped producing what people don't want to buy. Now, that's, that may sound like the simplest thing in the world, but in the past, they would keep running the plants even after the marketplace said, I yeah. don't want these anymore. To your point, that, that, that whole push that model. That whole push thing is over. Now, our conversations with GM, I just came from a meeting with GM, is, okay, you got some hits here. How can you prudently uh, produce more to take advantage of this hit that they have on their hands? And, uh, but you got to watch it like a hawk, because if it turns, you got to immediately gotta modulate uh, production. So. It's a new game for them, but I think the fact they stabilized their share and they're moving at a much faster pace, they got different kind of problems and, and, and challenges. GM's going to be a great turnaround success story. Toyota's hit a lot of hiccups, but they're still very strong in the marketplace. How do you see them proceeding from now? Well, the difference, uh, you know, clearly uh, Toyota's had some missteps. The difference between dealing with them and Detroit when there's missteps is it didn't take long for them to say yes do a public mea culpa saying we've made a misstep and we swear to you we're going to fix it as quickly as possible. And uh, they made big personnel changes around that and are moving heaven and earth uh, to regain their stride, which they will. And you have to admire that. I mean, mm -hmm. anybody can get off track a little bit. They did, but it didn't take them a couple decades to say, <laughs> you know, we got a problem here. 
So they're stepping up to it. Okay, and uh, sticking with the top Japanese, Honda. What's your outlook with uh, what Honda's done and where it's going for 2010? Well, you have to admire Honda. It's the fuel efficiency company. They will produce fuel efficiency uh, no matter what the marketplace says. It's a core brand attribute. I think everyone's outlook is that gasoline is indeed going to be more expensive and that fuel efficiency is going to be more and more demand from consumers and that all plays into Honda's hands. Mm -hmm. And Nissan? Nissan at times behaves like a Detroit company, you know? It's, uh, Nissan's like a sprinter instead of a marathoner, you know? They, they can do that 100-yard dash and then they got to pause and catch their breath. Uh, I think they need to take a little bit longer view of the marketplace and have a little more discipline, be careful not to overproduce, uh, not to be so streaky, uh, but uh, they, have, they have everything they need to be a, a good company. Well, we got to get to Hyundai Kia next. We just had Michael Sprague from Kia on just before you. These guys seem to be just off to the races. I, I, what's your viewpoint of them? Well, I think from from a manufacturer point of view and from a brand point of view, it's very positive. They have they have good products. They fix the quality. Uh, they get good price points. Much better design. Uh, very good marketing. However, I don't have a lot of Hyundai and Kia, so you may ask me why. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I'm in business to make money. And they don't really have a retail strategy where you can really make money. As a retailer. As a retailer. So the, the, the company's making the money. The company's not, making money, not, money the and not the retailer. And I think sooner or later, this strategy of having financially weak dealers is going to hurt them. And is that their strategy, or the strategy is why should we cut these guys in? We'll take the profit. I mean, why, why would you do that? Whatever it is, I think it's a mistake. If you look at all the strong brands in America, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Lexus, Toyota, Honda. They all have a retail strategy that gives them a great footprint with great locations, facility, and talent, and all the retailers are rock solid profitable. And I think when a manufacturer ignores that, uh, your foundation is not as strong as you would think. Now, maybe they'll ultimately figure that out, but. So but they far, haven't done so yet. Not, That's interesting. You're the first one who brought this up. Here's one of the chinks in their armor. Then. I think it's a chink in the armor that they need to address. Okay, you mentioned uh, the, some of the luxury brands. Your old stomping grounds, Mercedes-Benz. What's your outlook for, for the luxury end of the market as it pertains to Mercedes? Well, you know, we very much are enthusiastic about the, the premium luxury segment. If I look at our company, we're now one-third high-performance, high-volume domestic stores, one-third high volume, high performance, import volume stores, and fully one-third Mercedes-Benz, BMW, and Lexus. So we've made a big bet on premium luxury. We, we, we like the demographics. We love the, the product uh, complexity. Nobody can fix these things other than us. Uh, we love the pace of innovation that's in these products, uh, the product cadence. They have great network strategies. Uh, so it's in, in our premium luxury business, we have 125% fixed coverage, meaning uh, the service and parts business pays all the overhead, and we don't have to sell The sales, the, the cars are the icing on the, the cake? The cars are the icing on the cake. I, the foundation I, I, I. is the service and parts business. Wow. Because Because you have a sophisticated automobile that's complex with an owner that wants it to be right and is willing to pay for it to be right.
and we have a lot of added value in that equation. So that's a business model we really like. Again, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a car nut, but I'm a, yeah. at the end of the day, you're a I'm business, a business man. man. Right, you got to make this, money. I'm in this to, to added value for consumers and manufacturers, but make money in doing that. You didn't mention what I think is going to be the hottest luxury brand out there in the coming year, Audi. Yeah, well, there's no first. There's no question. Audi is on an extremely uh, positive road. They've done a brilliant job from a product point of view. And an old colleague of mine's doing the marketing, and he's doing a, a terrific job. Very innovative stuff. No question, Audi's on a, on a good way. Uh, but compared to a Mercedes-Benz or a BMW, they have some ways to go. A lot of growth left. Their, their sales are way under Mercedes or BMW yeah, but or I, Lexus. They are definitely a, a growth brand and with um, a retail strategy where you can make money. So so you're looking at some Audi stores? Definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and BMW. What do you, you like what's going on there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, BMW is in the same class as Mercedes-Benz. A uh, very defined brand that's different than uh, uh, what Mercedes has, chock full of innovation, pipeline that is uh, just stunning. Uh, they understand that they can never back off in always having something new coming to the marketplace. Uh, they deal with all the exchange rate issues. Both of the companies produce here in the U.S. Great retail strategies. And, and you'd say the same. You'd say the same for Lexus then. I think um, Lexus has a little bit of. Of a more of a challenge in that I think they were overly truck dependent for too long, and the uh, the RX became too much of the defining product of Lexus, and they had, they had to, a lot of eggs in that basket. They had a lot of eggs in that basket, and um, I think they need to find a way to 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 balance that. But at the end of the day, they ended up number one for the tenth year yeah. in a row. So yeah. they're not that bad off. Yeah, and right. they're in the New York Yankees. So, you know, like. <laughs> 10, 10 world championships. Let's wrap this up then. Where's the future? I mean, the Chinese are eyeing this market. I hear uh, Tata saying they're coming to the American market in a couple of years. There's all these electric cars dropping out of the sky. Where do you see well, it going from a retail standpoint? Yeah, we'll take them, we'll take them one at a time. First, in, in general, from a retail point of view, what we're sitting here looking at is uh, the choices that the consumer has are going to increase exponentially, both from a technical point of view and from a product innovation point of view, how they interact with a car. And it's absolutely mind-boggling how we're going to present this to consumers in a coherent way. I mean, where we are today, where when we deliver the car, we present two or three New York phone books and say, you know, go figure it out. That can't, can't be the future because we'll be up to this in another four years. Um, as far as which technologies are actually going to take hold, I think the arrival of this, of these electric vehicles is the real deal. It's the beginning of a real journey. However, it's a long road to any meaningful penetration of the marketplace because only 2 to 3% of the marketplace is going to be willing to pay the price premiums for, for an electric vehicle. And, you know, they hate the idea of, of putting gas in it, and they're just in love with the concept and they'll buy it. But the, but the, the price premium for the technology is astronomical. There's no economic payback in a, in a period of time that right. makes any sense. And that, that's going to limit you uh, in the mass market. As far as the Chinese and uh, uh, vehicles coming from India, again, it's the beginning of a long journey that's going to go very slow. There is a huge gap in safety standards, 
emission standards, and most importantly, in consumer preference. Meeting consumer expectations in, in, in the U.S. market is really uh, a high, high threshold for these companies. And I think they're going to have to partner with established manufacturers to get the expertise transfer and the knowledge transfer of how to do it. So it's a little bit like if you want to talk about where uh, Hyundai and Kia are, well, they arrived, John, what, 30 years ago? 30 years ago for 30 Hyundai. 30 years yeah, ago. Right. Yeah. So, and, and now they're there. They're, right. You know, they're moving past 5% of the marketplace, and we'll see where it goes. And I think it's going to be maybe not that long for the Chinese and Indian, but it, in, in car deals from India, but it's not going to happen from one day to the next. There'll be some front runners that come, and, but it's going to take time. Mike Jackson, thanks so much for coming in. John. Always fascinating to talk Always to you. You've always got you. the greatest insight, man. It's, it's been terrific. Yeah, real Enjoy pleasure. Enjoy the time together, John. Take care. Will do.